Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Asia-Pacific markets rallying this morning following a mixed performance on Wall Street overnight. Joining me as we break down all the market action, author of the Dividend Titan Finance blog, Willie King, looking very relaxed today. How are you? Good morning, MM. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> it's DT and MM in the house. And we'll talk Jay-Z in a while. But let's begin this morning with a bank whose troubles knocked the 2023 banking crisis into higher gear. A U.S. bank whose failure was the biggest since the 2008 financial crisis. I am talking about Silicon Valley Bank. Well, more than two weeks after its collapse and seizure by the United States Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, a buyer has been found. Well, when we first started covering the story, each morning we thought a buyer would step up, auctions were held, no bids were placed. Well, finally, the company that used to be known as the Banker for Tech Startups is entering a new chapter. Who is the buyer, Willie? Yep, so I'm looking at, I mean, I'm looking at the news and it's reported First Citizens is looking to buy out failed Silicon Valley Bank. So First Citizens is a regional bank as well. Um, they were out of the top 20 listed um, US banks. Um, they are mostly focused in this region of the North and South Carolina in the US. Um, so not a really big bank, but after buying this um, Silicon Valley Bank, they'll push themselves to being the top 20 US banks. And they are looking to actually buy out not using cash, but in terms of their stock. So they are issuing shares, or what I call the stock appreciation program um, to the FDIC, which the FDIC can exercise you know, from now to the mid of April. And how much cash the FDIC will receive from First Citizens is really depend on where the shares are going for First Citizens Bank. Interesting. So First Citizens will essentially buy Silicon Valley Bank's retail operations. That includes 17 retail branches, about 56 billion US dollars in deposits and 72 billion in assets. First Citizens is getting a discount of about 16 and a half billion dollars on this acquisition. That's a cost that will be borne by the FDIC and possibly other banks and US taxpayers. So it is worth pointing out that the US FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, will still own about uh, 90 billion dollars worth of assets, other parts of Silicon Valley Bank, as well as its investment manager and its wealth management arm. So these are expected to be sold separately. So what do you make about how this is pairing out? I mean, will the fact that SVB finally has a buyer ease some of the crisis and the fear of contagion? Mm, I think this is a good thing. I mean, if you look at the regional banks in the US, there are you know hundreds of thousands of them uh, in the US. And by com- combining or at least merging them together, it creates more of what I call, you know, a much too, quote unquote, too big to fail kind of concept here. And, you know, you, with First Citizens buying out SVB, this could potentially sort of bolster um, First Citizens' assets themselves and their deposit base as well. Because at the end of the day, when we are looking at banks, you know, we also want to be looking at the size of the deposit, the bigger the the more deposits they have, the stronger their financial position or their capital position is. So I think this is a pretty good thing. So uh, speaking of deposits, we mentioned yesterday, as of yesterday, Silicon Valley Bank had 56 billion US dollars in deposits. Before the crisis started, it had roughly 175 billion. So that gives you an idea of just how extensive 
the withdrawals have been about 120 billion or about two thirds of its deposits withdrawn by investors. Uh, First Citizens, meanwhile, North Carolina, been around for about 100 years, apparently a specialist in buying broken rivals. It's acquired over 20 firms since 2009. As the markets are applauding its purchase of Silicon Valley Bank, First Citizens' share price jumped more than 50% overnight as the acquisition vaults First Citizen into one of America's top 15 banks. Now, meanwhile, the 2023 banking crisis has claimed another high-profile casualty, this time not a financial institution, rather a person who inadvertently helped set off the banking crisis in the first place. Who is it? So it is uh, Saudi National Bank Chairman Anmar El Qudairi. So he resigned on Monday, just yesterday, um, after his comments on Credit Suisse sparked the Swiss bank's sell-off. So um, interestingly, he said that Saudi National Bank was unlikely to increase its stake in Credit Suisse. Ouch! At a time when the European lender battled a crisis of investor confidence that plunged its shares. So he also go on to say that the Saudi bank would not intercede for many reasons outside the simplest reason, which of course, um, you know, he puts it regulatory and statutory. Um, the, 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 of course, the comments fuel investor panic, so it sort of shaked up the market confidence and that sunk Credit Suisse shares 24% during that session. Um, and despite I reiterating Saudi National Bank's um, previous position, um, it did not intend to increase its holdings uh, to more than 9.9% as Credit Suisse's largest shareholder. So just a backdrop that Saudi National Bank uh, was um, the largest uh, shareholder for Credit Suisse. And to actually say that, you know, puts some shake-up in the confidence for investors. And shot at share price. I think that's called a shot in the foot. <laughs> well, I almost wanted to say double down. But in this case, this double down is not really a good thing. Double down meaning you're actually losing the money. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, in Europe trade yesterday, Deutsche Bank managed to recoup much of its previous session's losses. We talked on the show yesterday about how the bank was being targeted by sellers on Friday despite its strong financial earnings. Well, it seems that investors have taken a second look at the German bank's books. So perhaps they were reassured by German Chancellor Olaf Scholz's remarks that he saw no reason for concern. Deutsche Bank shares closed up 4.7% yesterday. They are still 20% lower, though, than where they were trading just a month ago. Now, just in case you thought the banking crisis looks like it's over, there's always a potential pitfall on the horizon that we'd like to bring your attention to. And with this in mind, there was an article this morning that caught my eye. Market Watch article arguing there is another looming cliff, possibly coming up in August, maybe even earlier. What is that looming cliff, Willie? Yep, so we are looking at the end of the student loan repayment moratorium. So while you have mentioned, you know, is the banking crisis over, um, there's also more to come, you know, on the student loans market here because um, what it is looking at is that student loan repayments will have to resume by the end of August this year or possibly earlier, which depends on a Supreme Court decision. So meaning 45 million people will have to start paying loans again, which also means that there could be a chance where there could be defaults on some of these uh, principles and interests. If pandemic savings are, are not enough to make up for what has to come out of households right now. All right, we turn now from fiat 
to crypto, or more specifically, to the world's largest crypto exchange, Binance. It's being sued by U.S. regulators. The Commodities Futures Trading Commission filed a lawsuit overnight against Binance and its CEO, Changpeng Zhao. The CFTC argues that Binance went to great lengths to do business with U.S. customers while dodging U.S. regulations. A little technical, but tell us about the allegations, Willie. Yep, so there are actually nine eye-popping allegations in the CFTC suit. So one of them is what um, it's called where... Zhao Peng goes, Binance goes. So the suit comes when the company was purposely vague about where it was based. So it was shifting around, you know, like a shadow mm. with its founder who is often simply called CZ and often saying that wherever he wants you know, to be in the world, the company is headquartered for that day. So this is something which I, I don't know, it seems like, um, you know, it puts some, um, you know, shake in the confidence of um, investors. And another one is um, whatever you do, don't let anyone know you're American. So regulate, regulators alleged that Binance counsel its high-value US customers to lock into their accounts using virtual private networks or VPN to obscure their location. The company also didn't typically ask these clients to provide any identifying documents as required by US law. So this is something where, you know, they are trying to, for me, I see something where they are trying to be as uh, 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 behind the scenes as possible and not trying to be as transparent. And another one is, um, you know, the suit claims that Binance never registered with U.S. regulators and simply ignored U.S. laws, despite the fact that its largest group of clients was in the U.S. So intentionally opaque setups to get around regulations. In response to the charges, Binance CEO CZ tweeted one character, and that number is four. It is a call to Binance's devoted international user base to dismiss the negative publicity as fake news. What do you make of this? I mean, how big a blow potentially is this lawsuit to Binance and the world of cryptocurrencies? Yeah, I think it would definitely dent the whole... uh, cryptocurrency market and this also sort of uh, sends a message um, to cryptocurrency players and stakeholders here that look um, if you want to operate something alongside the financial markets you had better be transparent about what you are doing absolutely Um, let's bring and what do you make of the four have you heard of this before yeah uh, tweeting a four and that's a message to say dismiss tribe (laughs) yeah I think so (laughs) I've never heard of this. Yeah, I've never heard of this as well. All right. I guess if you have a big enough tribe, they get to know the lingo. And there's all sorts of lingo on Twitter because of the restriction of eight characters, right? Mm. All right, let's bring the discussion to Singapore now, where Manulife US REIT is attracting a lot of attention. The company's portfolio includes a dozen office properties in the United States. And yesterday, its shares finished down 14%. They are off some 30% over the past three months. So why have investors turned sour on Manulife US REIT? Mm. So recently, they came up... uh um, saying to defend itself that the U.S. office read said that none of its lenders is a U.S. regional bank. Um, this came after its manager, Manulife U.S. Uh, real estate management said that yes, received multiple queries on Monday following news of U.S. regional banks uh, going to trouble, and of course the investor sentiment on U.S.-based real estate funds. So the the read said that its lenders. The money where they borrow the money from are usually from Singapore and international banks here. Um, of course, 
Manulife REITs shares have felt 14%. And of course, you know, it has sort of been, you know, in the bargain prices really because of the higher gearing as well. Um, gearing hit close to 50% as its property valuations dropped. So all this all came up. Um, not really good news for Manulife REIT here. A little bit of confusion as well uh, of the sale of its manager. In today's business times, Ju Chan argues that the potential sale of Manulife US REITs manager to a Korean company calls into question the steadfastness of its sponsor. What do you make of this? Mm. So they are actually looking to sell... Manulife US REIT is actually looking for a potential transaction with Mirai Asset Management. So this... Um, as according to what Jude Chan says, um, this potential deal is a reminder of the governance minefields that unit holders threat with externally managed REITs. And it makes a good case um, for inter- internally managed REITs instead. So the latter is, are increasingly seen as the gold standard for governance. I mean, if you ask me, Michelle, you know, mm. I, I do agree with what Jude says because at the end of the day, you want to have an alignment of interest um, of the REIT managers with the unit holders. I mean, some of the best um, corporate governance in the REIT space here, you know, if you can look at it, is the Hong Kong Link REIT, which is one of the largest retail REIT, where they are able to actually control who the REIT manager are. Because most of the time, if you see across all the Singapore REITs, uh, most are actually externally managed, which means that they might not have an alignment of interest with unit holders. So Manulife US REIT just last week have been awarded this AAA rating uh, for ESG standards, right? Why do you think that wasn't enough to reassure investors? I mean, if you look at the rating, it's more towards sustainability and it goes towards the whole um, ESG drive. But in this case, what investors are really looking out for is the assurance of whether they're able to manage their gearing, number one, uh, able to bring down their borrowing costs. And more importantly, also, are they able to sell down their assets at sort of a reasonable price in order to actually stave off uh, being too overly leveraged? And whether the interests of the external manager and the sponsor are also aligned with investors' interests. Yes, exactly. All right. In other news related to Manulife US REIT, the company has clarified that it does not have exposure to regional banks in the US, something we started off uh, this segment with. The REIT has received a number of queries about its bankers since the start of the banking crisis earlier this month. All right. It's time for corporate news, up or down style. Willie, let's start with BioNTech. Mm. So biotech here is, let the headlines here is their forecast to slump in sales as demand for COVID jab wanes. So this is a down for me. I mean, if as the world economy reopens, it seems like people are not too keen on getting the renewed um, vaccination or the jabs yet. And I, and I think that this has sort of hit on biotech does feel like business as usual. BioNTech is cash rich and it is taking some of its profits from the pandemic, about 1 billion euro dollars to be more specific, and it is then investing this into research. So does that mean more good news down the road in terms of discoveries? Possibly. So that is an up in my book. Let's look at Disney. Okay, Disney is an up for me here, despite the fact that they are looking to actually cut 7,000 employees. I mean, this, to me, on the ground, you know, if I were an employee, of course, this is something which I would get nervous about. But if you look at it from a bigger picture here, um, what um, Bob Iger is trying to do is he's trying to reorganize the business because he came into back into the chairman 
um, just late last year in order to sort of rejig or shake up Disney itself. I mean, if you see for the past few years, uh, Disney hasn't really been, you know, on where it was. You know, it's it sort of lost its Mickey Mouse touch. Uh, and Bob Iger here is trying to shake up by trying to reduce its cost trying to remanage its headcount in order to actually compete against the highly competitive streaming businesses against, you know, your Netflixes, your Apple TV and your Amazon Prime. Uh, so Disney's bet on TV series and movies apparently not working out for it. It's trying to look out for the $5.5 billion in savings to make up for the losses from its streaming business. So Disney's cast of characters also not smiling. The company is handing out pink slips to 7,000 employees um, down for Disney in my book. Let's look at the pharmaceutical company GSK. Mm, so GSK has recently posed very strong results for one of its uh, clin- clinical trial cancer drugs. Um, and this is actually a really interesting thing because um, it's definitely an up for me because GSK um, you know, has been struggling to keep up with its profits and trying to also match its UK rival AstraZeneca. So this is an up for me. Definitely. And for the world at large, a GSK drug for endometrial cancer is posting strong results in a trial. So that drug is called Gemperly and GSK expects it to become a top seller. The good trial numbers are an up for GSK in my book. Let's look at Harita Nickel. Nickel in the news quite a bit these days. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know whether for, for good or for bad, right? <laughs> 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 what do you think? Uh, nickel scandals at the London Metal Exchange certainly not deterring investor interests in this Indonesian nickel company. They're called Harita Nickel. How's it looking in your books? All right, so this comes uh, more interesting here. Harita Nickel look, is looking to raise $659 million in a Jakarta IPO and the, the company sold shares at 1250 rupiah in the offering. So this is an up for me because amidst all this um, commodity bull run, I guess it makes sense for all this com- um, commodity company to try to you know raise cash at the top of the market in their commodity sector right now yeah i, I mean look you have you have a good bull run prices are up does it make sense to try to sell some part of your company it does, it does, yeah. So the metal and mining firm pricing its IPO near the top end of expectations uh, already raised about $660 million US dollars and up for Harita Nickel in my book as well. Let's look at Gunting Malaysia, selling a property in Miami. Mm. So this is an up for me. I mean, a property sale would always bring in cash and they are able to deploy, redeploy um, cash back into the business again. So um, in this case, Gunting Bahad is looking to, like what you said, um, possible to exit from the Miami property market with huge gains. Yeah, absolutely. Maybank expects it will make $870 million from the deal. That is an up for Gunting Malaysia. Doing pretty well as well is uh, Jay-Z. By the way, this is Market View. He's DT, Dividend Titan himself. I'm MM and we're talking about Jay-Z now worth $2.5 billion US dollars. So much more than just a music icon. I don't know, are you a rap fan? <laughs> Listen to some of the rap last time in my school days. <laughs> but these days, not much. <laughs> it's great when you're like not thrilled with the world. You're in your car, you turn up that music and just let it rip. Sometimes when you're just angry or frustrated, exactly. that's where you want to pop in the CD. <laughs> <laughs> Jay-Z is not angry. There's a great quote about Jay-Z. He says, I'm not a businessman. I'm a business man. Um, so what do you think of his meteoric rise? $2.5 I mean, for... For him to actually have that kind of net worth is just incredible or massive. And to be able to keep that kind of money 
especially when you are, a, you know, song artist or a rapper, I think it's it's also quite remarkable because what I've read, you know, not a lot of um, recording artists, song artists are able to keep what they earn. And for Jay-Z to be able to make that kind of money and hopefully be able to keep it, I good think point. it's something good. I think he's a couple of ranks above LVMH and um, the head of Moe Shendong as well. Um, if you're wondering what is the key to Jay-Z's wealth, he's had his hands in liquor, art, real estate and sticks in this company, Uber. Wow. And I mean, the interesting thing is, of course, he sat down with legendary investor Warren Buffett. And, you know, I guess that's where he probably got all his uh, personal finance tips from. That's all it takes. <laughs> One great conversation. Uh, he sold his majority stake, by the way, uh, in Tidal to Jack Dorsey's block uh, back in 2021. Turned out to be a good thing. Uh, Jack Dorsey bought the, that majority stake in Tidal to... Uh, he bought it for $302 million back in 2021. So, pretty savvy investor. Yeah, I mean... I'm. I'm, I'm amazed sometimes when I read some of um, these guys, these this artists, right, when they're mm. able to actually invest as well alongside their career. It's just amazing. I mean, you have um, uh, um, artists like even Ashton Kutcher, um, you know, who watches movies and he has his own uh, investment capital and also very, very savvy guy. Um, you also have the actor from Deadpool. He also runs his own marketing firm. Really? And also invests his own business as well. So, so interesting. Yeah, so... Sometimes I'm just amazed, you know, um, when I'm looking at these um, actors, uh, songwriters, singers, even though that they are very skilled in their craft, but at the back, they are also very astute in money management. Highlighting the importance of always understanding money, which is what we're all about here on Your Money with me, Michelle Martin. He's Willie King, otherwise known as Dividend Titan himself. You can check out his <laughs> blog online. Thanks so much, Willie. Thank you, M.M. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.